ready to create the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. We've done it ourselves after leaving careers in law and clinical practice. Like many other professional women, we wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present to our growing families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other ambitious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. You know how much we love to share our favorite books with you here on the podcast. We all love to cozy up with a book and a cup of tea, but the truth is, we're always on the go. That is the absolute truth. And audiobooks have been a really incredible way to keep up with our reading while doing lots of other things in our lives. So driving the kids to school, hiking, taking trips to the dog park, or most importantly, folding laundry. I do not like to waste my time. So listening to an audiobook while I fold laundry makes me feel like I'm doing something important. Sandy, what are you listening to these days? Right now, I am absolutely loving Americana, which is a novel by Chimananda Ngozi Adichie. She was the one who wrote We Should All Be Feminists. That's where I was introduced to her, and I love it. Yeah, that's a good one. And you? I am also reading a novel right now, The Female Persuasion by Meg Wolitzer. And if you have not read this book yet or seen it all over the internet and all over the bookstore, you should definitely download it. It's amazing. You can get The Female Persuasion or Americana or a different audiobook of your choice and a 30-day free trial over at audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba for your free audiobook. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Soulful MBA podcast. I'm Jenny Barcelos, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sandy Connery. Hey, Sandy. Hello, Jenny. Hello, everyone. We're going to talk about wellness in today's episode. So this episode was inspired in large part by an article from the New Republic called Mind Control, Barbara Ehrenreich's Radical Critique of Wellness and Self-Improvement. And as we were reading this article, I think we saw a lot of the same sentiments that we share with one another and have echoed back and forth over the past few months and years about our own shared and separate internal and external critiques of the wellness industry. So given the fact that our primary software company, Namastream, is really situated in the wellness industry, you know, we obviously serve other markets as well, but we're primarily focused on the wellness industry. We really work with a lot of wellness practitioners and professionals, and I think we're seeped in this stuff every single day in our business. And so because of that, we read articles and we're interested in this space. And I think it is helpful to have conversations that allow us to question what we're seeing unfold in this sector. So Sandy, do you want to sort of summarize the article or, or what your biggest takeaway was from the article for our friends and listeners? Sure. First, I am fascinated by this character, Barbara Aaron Wright. I mean, she's not a character. She's a real person. But I'm just like, who are you that you think this way and do this cool stuff? So it's about her book, and it's about how she's chosen to remove herself from the medical 
care, basically. She's somewhere in there, she says that she's decided that she's old enough to die and that she will not have a medical death, medicalized death, nor will she have a medicalized life. So she's not going to have her mammogram and she's not going to do any testing and she's just going to live out her years without worry and without constant poking and prodding and days filled with appointments. And to be honest, I found that so refreshing. Mm -hmm. I think I just, it's like a certain character that will come out and say that and just like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. I am going to live my life and enjoy it where all her friends around the same age of her are, are just running from appointment to appointment and kind of in some ways being scared into further tests and, you know, like you have to do this, you should have this test on every year. And she's just shaking her head and saying, no, I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah. Ultimately, the book is about death and dying and sort of what that process means for a generation of people that have largely been unwilling to confront that reality. But in the course of the book, and I've picked up the book and gone through it a bit, but I think you really get the gist of it in the article. To me, like the real interesting and relevant conversation for us and our audience is more around exercise and what it means to be fit and healthy. And I, I was really particularly taken about the juxtaposition of workout culture and mindfulness culture because I think we've critiqued productivity already in this podcast a bit. And I think there are a lot of people that critique workout culture and this whole idea that to exercise or be healthy, you know, you need to be monitoring and tracking and scheduling the movement of your body and your fitness. And, you know, there's a lot to say. There's a lot of good things about that and a lot of tricky things about that. But I have not, until this article, read very much critique about mindfulness. And so to actually have someone speaking out against mindfulness culture is fascinating to me. And so she says in this article, while workout culture requires the strict ordering of the body, mindfulness culture has emerged to subject the brain to similarly stringent routines. So it's this whole idea that we need recentering and that through discipline, spiritual discipline or mental discipline, that we're somehow improving ourselves and our lives. And I think that's worth questioning. It is a big question, and I'm not sure I have the answer to it, but it just makes me think years ago when I was studying nutrition, I wrote some papers and I started blogging about nutrition. And one of the things, and I was very immersed in the whole paleo and ketogenic community at the time and still am to some degree. But this idea had struck me that we are the only species on earth that has to worry about what we look like and what we eat and how much we move. And we're measuring and tracking everything. And every single other animal that lives a natural life, meaning not interfered with by any way by, by human beings, they're fine. They're the right weight. They eat the right things. They eat what they are biologically designed to digest and it's just striking to me that our big intelligent brains in some way make our lives so much more difficult because we've surrounded ourselves by machines and by robots and by things that make us not have to move and in some cases not even have to think because everything's kind of done for us or figured out press a button and you know push that and you know start this machine and it will work not that i'm you know ready to go back to the days of washing clothes by hand it just strikes me that humans have almost done ourselves a disservice by making it so, you know, so easy for us to, all we have to do is, is sit there and live. 
Right. That's totally true. And in this article, I just want to clarify too, it's written by Gabrielle Winnant and it's critiquing or just sort of a book report of Barbara Ehrenreich's book. Um, And her book is called Natural Causes. So just to clarify that we should have done that early on. But it's really interesting because the author talks about how exercise was once associated with play and now it's associated with labor. And I think that's what you're getting at, Sandy. And I know mm-hmm. play is really important to you. It's one of your core values. And I, so I see how that would have brushed up against you in kind of the wrong way. In the way that she explains this in the article or, or tries to understand it is saying that working out became a status symbol a form of conspicuous consumption for a professional middle class bereft of purpose. And it became a disciplinary device, part of a culture that inflicts steep penalties for being overweight. It's interesting that as a culture, we've taken to this kind of measuring and tracking and crushing our workouts. And like she talks about like these phrases that are really offensive to her, like crushing your workout, explosive strength, warrior routines, like this whole idea of making your body a slave to your mind and how really the reason for that coming into being is it's one form of searching for meaning for people who maybe aren't getting that meaning somewhere else. I mean, not saying I agree with any of this or all of this, but it's just fascinating to start to question, you know, these cultural beliefs that we all sort of take for granted as being normalized. Mm -hmm. I yearn for a life where I just have to move not because it does something for me or I reach a certain step goal. I just would love to be able to live a life where my life is about natural movement and natural eating and I don't have to think about it, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's, and I love how they, I don't know if it's the author of this article or it was Barbara Ehrenreich herself, but it separated like the mind and body and that the, Mm -hmm. there are two separate entities that are often fighting against each other. And that just because you, you know, know that you want to work out, that your body or your mind may not support that. And, you know, ultimately, she's also saying in this book that we don't really have agency over our bodies. Like there's a certain degree that we can control, but there's a lot that we can't control. So, you know, if you think about it, we're all born, obviously, with different characteristics and and different benefits and assets and different liabilities. Like we're all genetically and for other reasons created differently and yet there's on like I think we share a cultural belief that somehow we can control our bodies and I don't know I I think being in this industry and working with so many wellness practitioners who do this for a living I think it's worth as a community really trying to get at the root of of why we are in this field like why are we doing this work like why personally are we drawn to it and what are we bringing to the people that we're serving and just being mindful about the underlying beliefs and acknowledging that they're beliefs and not facts barbara ehrenreich had previously co-published a book called witches midwives and nurses that looked at the traditions of women's healing knowledge and how those traditional forms of knowledge have over history been endlessly attacked by men and her description that culminated in the modern medical establishment and so I think that's really interesting too to point out sort of the gender difference between what wellness means in different contexts and one side wellness is like medical care formal medical care and then on the other side it's also all of sort of like the exercise and nutrition and other work that a lot of our clients do And I think it's just worth thinking about, you know, 
in terms of historically how women in particular have been attacked or the work of women has been systematically undermined over time that's led to the state that we're all in right now. (laughs) To me, like I've not, you know, I've sort of mildly remember thinking about this when I was pregnant and, and trying to think about what kind of birth I wanted to have and really learning about how my options were more limited in a hospital and the pressures that would be put on me. During the birthing process, that's where my own personal relationship to that has come in. Overall, in my life, like I've not thought about medical care that way as sort of this very gendered, established set of processes that we could question. Yeah, I actually love this article as well because it makes me think of like, like you're a witch if you think you know that you can do it this way and not this like male allopathic medicine kind of way. It made me do a double take as well. Like, huh, if you think back... At some point, male obstetricians took over delivering babies and it was taken from the women, you know, that idea of like the red tent and midwifery and like women taking care of women for thousands and thousands of years. And I'm not sure when that actually switched, but yeah, it's a fascinating notion. And I certainly think it's coming around again, right? Like there's, you know, with the the rise of midwifery and doulas and we're taking back control over that. You had a midwife birth, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did too. I think that in some ways, the internet and social media, particularly Instagram, have really allowed me to glimpse into these worlds where women are reframing the narrative around wellness and healthcare. Like I follow a lot of herbalists on Instagram. I do follow a lot of like midwives and doulas. It's amazing like to see women who are doing that kind of work, like rise, you know, they're sort of Mm -hmm. rising in fame and notoriety because I think of, of these technology platforms, whereas a couple of decades ago, this was all very quietly happening underneath regular society, like in the quiet corners of cities and towns and communities. And now I think because of social media and because of the internet and online courses, these kinds of ideas are able to really get traction again. When I had my other business, when I worked with physicians, there is this prevalent belief with our uh, customers and our clients that whatever the doctor said was it was the Mm -hmm. law was the answer like whatever the physician said because it is an you know md behind typically their male name that's what they believed and so it really does feel like there's other voices able to come through now because of the social media platforms and different technology that just as you said But it frustrated me to no end that the physios that I work with knew way more about musculoskeletal problems than any general practitioner would. And the GPs would absolutely acknowledge that and admit to that. But the belief by the common person is that, no, it's a doctor. They know more than anything. And there's so many people doing amazing work in wellness with different approaches, like, you know, using ancient beliefs like Ayurvedic or traditional Chinese medicine that have been around for thousands and thousands of years, more than the allopathic system has. That makes me really excited. I love to help support those voices that are trying to just bring a different viewpoint to how we can stay healthy or how we can heal something. We see this this work being done by our client base every day, right? Yes. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy-to-use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live stream programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. You can learn more at namastream.com. 
And Sandy, it's probably worth noting too that Barbara Ehrenreich has a PhD in cell biology. So she's not someone who is you know, uninformed or uneducated about science and the scientific method. But she's also very acutely aware of the power dynamics um, between doctors and patients. She talks about how that influences patients' decisions, which is what you've just described with your own clients in the past, right, where they want to do whatever the doctor says. And so I think because of the way that Western medicine, or as you call it, allopathic medicine is structured. It's a very hierarchical relationship between the doctor and patient. And so it doesn't create a lot of space typically for that innate wisdom that a, a person has about their own body to rise in those conversations. And I think Barbara Ehrenreich is wise to point that out. And I think she's a really great messenger for this message, given her background and her expertise. Like you can't just write her off. Right. She knows stuff. She knows what she's talking about in a lot of ways. I think what her decision to kind of walk away from a medicalized life gives power to people to say, you know what, I actually don't want that test or actually I don't want to go through that right now. And I love that someone has just said that out loud and sort of inspired, I hope inspired some people and not condoning people not to get tests. If that's what you really want to do and you feel comfortable and more at peace with that, then for for sure do that. But I know for me, it's like I've had my arguments with physicians before because they've got their routine things and you have to do it this way and you have to do it every year. And sometimes I don't want to do it and I don't think I should have to do it. Now I've had a diagnosis of cancer about 20 years ago. I was super, super young, super young 20 years ago. So there's like this extra pressure on me to get things tested. And I refuse a lot of times because I just intuitively, it's over and I don't Mm -hmm. want to do that. And so this did give me a lot of confidence that that is okay when I see her walking away from the the entire thing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a very personal decision, of course. I don't know. I kind of want to read this whole book, Jenny. I know you said yeah. it's pretty heavy. Well, I don't but like I... to read about death. So it's a heavy book. I think, you know, you're more comfortable with things like that. I'm yeah. I'm much yeah, more I just think... like, ah, I don't want to talk about it. I don't, which is I think, <laughs> common, right? So, yeah. but I will say too, you know, just thinking about trusting. I have doctors that have done remarkable things and I've, I've been in great care with traditional Western doctors. Um, but I also, when I was pregnant, I like I had a, a scare with losing my child and I was told that we had lost her and um, was basically given a prescription, right? And and or was told I could schedule a procedure and I didn't, like with her, I, I didn't feel like that had happened. And I'm, it was a horrible few days, but it ended up, and I ended up like leaving this hospital with this Western doctor and it was an emergency room situation. I ended up leaving and just I I found these midwives and I called them and I was like, I don't believe this. I want, you know, I, I, I was like, am I just in denial? And um, it ended up, of course, I have my child and she's perfect and wonderful. And I, if I had not listened to that voice mm. inside of me, like a shudder to think about what would have happened. Oh, my God. Once you've been alive long enough, you've had these moments where you've come head to head, I think, with a doctor where you're like, no, I know that what you're saying doesn't feel right to me. We've all had those. Yeah. It's just a fascinating thing to consider. And I I think so, so many of you who are listening may have had these moments with a physician, but like, have you questioned this stuff in sort of the broader wellness community? Because for me, like I've questioned it around exercise. We've talked in this podcast before, Sandy, about how we both like really just like to be outside. 
I don't want to have to think about going to exercise. Like I love to swim. I want to go swim down in the lake that I can walk down to. When it's not warm and sunny, I don't need to go swim. I don't need to find a place to go swimming. Like I don't need to have a little pool that has one of those wave, I don't even know what you call it, a current machine in it so that I'm in a little box swimming in mm-hmm. the winter in mm-hmm. my box. Yeah, rich roll style. I want to like live my life in a very practical, physical way, which is I think what, right. what you're describing right. yeah, it's too. Like back, yeah, right. So I've questioned that sort of establishment and I've gone from being someone who really loved going to the gym and loved going to group fitness classes. I mean, I can't do that anymore because that doesn't really exist in my world because of where I live. But I have not questioned mindfulness and I've not thought of a downside to mindfulness or like questioned this idea of mindfulness Mm -hmm. and meditation and quiet reflection. Like I've never questioned it. It's always just been like, yes, that's good. That's like uniformly 100% good. But I do think that when you get into a situation where you're using apps and you're tracking your brain waves and like you can, you should start maybe to question like, you know, what's going on there? And do you need to be doing that? Is that in fact wellness or is it something else? I love thinking about those kinds of questions. And I love articles that have invited me to think differently and question my assumptions. I haven't thought of it either in that way. And I bet you many of our listeners haven't and will. I think when you're able to get into that habit and routine of meditation, like all you hear about is how positive it the positive benefits on your life. Yeah, I've had moments of it, but I have not been able to regularly do so. I resent, quite honestly, having to think about my wellness. I don't want to think about it. I just want to be, and I want it to be, I want to use my intelligence and be active and enjoy life and be happy and nurture relationships. And through that, I want my mindfulness to be taken care of and my body to be taken care of. And it's a bit pie in the sky, but that's that's how I, I wish But I think that's the human, were. like, that's like, there's something about being a human animal that wants mm-hmm. that. Like on some level, right. you want to like wake up when the sun rises. I wake up so yes, early yes, yes. now because it's, we're recording this in June and I live in a Northern place as do you. And it's so bright for me at, mm-hmm. you know, five o'clock in the morning and it's bright for me, almost bright as day at nine o'clock at night. So my body is up and awake. And in the winter, I I wake up much later and I go to sleep much earlier. And just it feels rhythmic and natural. And and I want to live my entire life. And I think it's a luxury in our modern culture to be able to live like that. But I want to. Like there's a human element in me that's like craving a life that's based on the natural world and my natural physical being and what it needs. Agreed. I think we should do a whole podcast on cycles and seasons with business. Yeah. I keep telling you that and now I'm going to say it publicly. So we have to do it. Yeah, it is very cyclical. It's totally cyclical. There's something about moons, like the moon too, right? Like it's just, I don't know. I feel it now. I I think when we look at screens all the time and we're so beholden to this kind of artificial reality that we've painted for ourselves in modern culture, like we, it's, it's easy to lose sight of what's outside and what's under your feet. I caution you to think about what's what's around you. On one podcast, we recommended an app that reminds you to stand every 20 minutes. Yeah. And although that is helpful and sometimes needed, it's just so sad. It is sad. That we get taken away, right? And I remember in preparing for this, I'm thinking like, I have to remind myself to stand up. Like, what kind of life is that? Yeah. And that's just, you know, we sit at desks and we work and we sit at computers and we work. And that's been the way for, you know, 
not even a hundred years probably no gosh it's like it's like 20 years I mean I don't think any of us were staring at screens no but desk work yeah like desk sitting work. for long periods are yeah. is, you know from the early yeah 1900s, yeah some people maybe sure not all people but some professions would have and so this whole thing is new to us as a species and we need to figure it out and I think too this is really poignant for us because you and I have been on such a a, a spring high like things in our business are going well really well right now and we can we have some more moments of like there's actually nobody that needs help right now mm-hmm. and that everything seems to be you know touch wood everything seems to be going really well and so we are taking ourselves away from our screens and doing the fun things and doing the things that w- we wanted to do when we started this business and it's fantastic and it feels good. And so the hours that we do sit are just, you know, so much more in our awareness, right? It's like, oh, I just want to be outside. Yeah, it's totally true. I have a another business now that is a product-based business and we can talk about that on another podcast, but I'm out at a farmer's market every weekend and I it's it's so much more than, it's such a different kind of business because I'm out, I'm physically outside with my family. My child's like running around the town green for like six hours, like a wild, happy little animal. And I'm outside interacting with people in my community and building relationships and connections. And it's only in the summer, right? Like this, this business only exists in the summer. And it, it feels so fascinating to me to think about like, Really, in the in January in the Pacific Northwest, like I really want to be drinking 15 cups of coffee and sitting in my house by a fireplace. And that's fine. It feels good. That's what feels right. And working and like working a lot, like working really long days. And in the summer, I want to be out in my town, like in the sun, interacting with people and like barefoot on the grass. Like it's such a physical need that I have. It's just as strong in the winter to be inside and hunker down. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you can structure your life in a way that allows for those behaviors to shift, I think it's just such a wonderful gift we can give ourselves. Yep. Online business. Fabulous. Fabulous. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Should we dive into the joy and hustle? Yes. You have the joy. Okay. So Thinking of wellness and things that are keeping us healthy these days, the joy for this week is sous vide. And uh, I have been watching the sous vide market uh, for years, and they've always been something that a restaurant uses and not accessible for home use. And so finally, there are now on the market a couple home size sous vide. So sous vide, some of you may not be familiar with what it is, is a water immersion cooking tool. So it looks like an immersion blender and you stick it into a pot of water and it heats up the water to a specific temperature and you drop your food either in glass jars or a plastic Ziploc bag and you cook your food at a very low temperature for a long period, so low and slow. And it is amazing, amazing, amazing. So I currently have the Jewel sous vide, which I chose that one because their ratings were really high and it kept the temperature uh, very accurate. But also it's very small, so I can stick it in a kitchen drawer. Some of them are very, very big. But uh, the advantages are that you can, number one, do boiled eggs like no other method. They are the best eggs in the world. You don't have any gray ring around the yolk. It's just, it's beautiful. Also, you can pasteurize eggs. If you're making your own mayonnaise like I do, I can use a pasteurized egg and reduce risk of contamination. You can also do food on like on a Sunday, you can cook a bunch of sous vide um, food and then just stick it in the fridge and then just quickly 
brown it. I'm talking about meat now. You can quickly give it a, a grill to kind of uh, seal it all in. And it's just amazing. I love it. Jenny, <laughs> Jenny's like, what the hell? Well, as like essentially a lifelong vegetarian, I'm almost convinced to buy it though because of the boiled eggs. You've convinced me about how much better the eggs are and we do eat eggs and so and also the idea of making custard which you told me about earlier custard yeah sounds Custard's amazing like like creme brulee oh my goodness perfect. yeah mm-hmm. we all like our creme brulee okay and the hustle for today is the article we've been talking about this episode it's called mind control barbara ehrenreich's radical critique of wellness and self-improvement by gabrielle winnant it's in the new republic from may 23rd 2018 we will of course link to it in the show notes also barbara ehrenreich's book as well i think can share that role and her book is called natural causes her new book So we hope you have enjoyed this conversation. We hope you will chime in with us in our Facebook group and on social media to join in the conversation about the wellness industry and the future of wellness for human beings. And we will see you next episode. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start, to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba slash teacher to sign up. It's totally free.